Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today uh, is Patrick Lencioni, goes by Pat. He's the founder and president of The Table Group. Uh, he's really a man who needs no introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. <laughs> he's uh, the host of three podcasts. Uh, he's the author of 12 best-selling books with over 7 million copies sold. I think he's the goat of fables, the greatest of all time. It writes really high quality fables that are both interesting, but then also teach you something, which is really hard to do. Usually it's one or the other, right? It's interesting or it teaches, teaches you something. Um, you've probably heard of many of his books. Um, this book right here, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, we're about to go back through it as a company book club with my whole company, it, irrespective of this interview. So, and, and then I've got all my, uh, all my Audible, also irrespective of this interview, it's because someone recommended it. It's like one of the few books by him that I haven't uh, read yet. Let's see, which one was it? I think it's The Motive. So I'm about to be in the middle of two Pat Lencioni books, totally independent of this interview, which is how good his books are. Uh, so on this interview, I want to talk about um, fables. How do you write a great fable? I've asked a lot of other people, but this guy's the goat. <laughs> and then we're going to talk about working genius, his new book. What are the six types of working genius? How can you use this working genius um, to write and launch better books? So Pat, great to have you here. It is great. I, this is a party. I just love to talk about this kind of stuff. So it's fun. <laughs> author to author, oh. speaking to people out there who are interested in this. So I love it. Thanks for having me. So let's start here. Why books? Like, why are they such a big part of your life and a big part of your business? Wow. Well, you know, what's interesting is it probably could have been movies. Um, I grew up, I, I grew up fairly poor. So we weren't, I was not going to go into the, into be a writer or a movie maker or anything like that. I was, I needed to get a job. And, and that was very clear to get, to make money and to my dad, God bless him. And my mom, they, they sacrificed so I could go to college and, and do something practical. But as it turns out, my personality isn't all that practical. So I took a screenwriting class in college. Now, I will tell you, I'd always loved um, writing since there was this TV show. You're way too young for this, but you may have heard of it called The Waltons. And it was really popular when I was a kid. And there was this guy, John Boy Walton, and he was, he'd write in his journal every night at the end of the show. And I thought, oh, I like that, what that guy's doing. And so when I got to college, I majored in economics, but a little bit to my father's chagrin, probably I took a class in screenwriting and I loved it. And I, so when I got out of college, I was a management consultant working like ungodly hours, but I would stay at the office from 10 to midnight after I'd get off at 10 o'clock at night and I would write screenplays for fun. And so, and my books are really more like screenplay. They're, they're, they're dialogue heavy. There's not a lot of like ex description, like a novel. I would say they read more like screenplays. And so, um, so I thought maybe I would be a screenwriter one day. And, and I had a little success in terms of people taking an interest in my screenplays, but I didn't want to move to Hollywood and do that. So I thought I, it'll just be my hobby. 
sometimes a hobby is meant to be a hobby. So I kept going in my career. And one day I came up with a theory on leadership because I was working with a variety of CEOs. This is before I started my own company. And I came up with this theory and I started to share it with people. And somebody repeated it back to me a year later. And, and I said, where did you hear that? And they said, that, that's your theory on leadership. And somebody said, you better write our book about that. And I was like, I don't know. And they said, somebody else is going to. And I said, okay, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> so this is too long. I know I'm sorry, but I thought, oh, a business book. I, I get really depressed when I read some business books because I don't finish them. <laughs> and I think, oh, this poor author wrote all of this stuff. And I read the first two chapters and I set it aside. Mm. And I thought, how do I write a book that somebody's going to want to read all of it and get all of the goodness from it? And I thought, oh, maybe I can use my screenwriting skills to write a story that goes from scene to scene that by the end of it, people will be hooked and they'll say, I just learned all that. And then I'll put a little thing in the back of, here's what you just learned. So I did it. I didn't think I was going to ever get published. I was going to take it to Kinko's to, to hand it out to our clients. And on accident, a friend of mine's sister, brother's girlfriend, sister worked at a publishing firm. They saw it by accident, kind of. We asked them to look at it and they said, yeah, we want to publish this. So wow. 12 books later, here I am. So it's a lot by accident, thank the Lord. And um. I really do love writing, but I like writing dialogue more than anything. Mm. What was what was the first concept for that first book? That's a it's funny. Somebody asked me about this yesterday. I don't talk about that. That, that book is called The Five Temptations of a CEO. Yeah, okay. I read it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's but it's the most allegorical of all of mine. It's more like a film in the sense that it's like there's this guy, this CEO, he's struggling. He thinks he might get fired the next day. He goes home. He his car gets locked in the parking garage in San Francisco because that's where I lived. And uh, and he and so he has to take BART, the rapid transit, like the public transportation home. And he gets on there right before it closes. He's the only guy on the whole train. And these these mysterious characters just keep walking through the train and sitting down with him. And they and they're talking to him about things and it's kind of edgy, but it's kind of allegorical and he learns things from them and he gets to his stop and he wakes up and he's like, was that a dream or was that a real or, and then he goes to his board meeting. So it's very allegorical. That was kind of the setting mm -hmm. of that. And it was really about leader leading as a human being. They, then I wrote another book about organizations. And my third book is the five dysfunctions of a team. And mm -hmm. that's the one that really took off. So, yeah. well, I mean, when actually before I make this comment, what, what does allegorical mean? Well, that, I'm glad you asked that because I use that without, it's an allegory. It would be more like mystical and like a true fable. Like there's like, I think my stuff now, we call them fables, but they're really kind of just business fiction is really what it is. It's a fable totally. because it's fiction. So we call it that. Yes. But I try to write really edgy. Like I want fiction that people go, I was at that meeting. Yeah, that's exactly how people talk. And people will call and go, did you, did you work with my company? And I'm like, no. And they go, because that's exactly what happens. And so I try to write really realistic fiction. So allegorical would be more symbolic, I think. Allegory mm. would be that way. But I could be very wrong. And I'm glad you asked that question because I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that's in the right right family of words. <laughs> yeah. it's. I mean, I haven't even asked you about writing great fables. And I think you've already hit on something that is very core to that is can, can someone see themselves in your story? I, I had a speaking right. coach one time who said, he said, Chandler, when you're, when you're speaking, if someone comes up to you afterwards and says, that was a really great story, it was a horrible story. <laughs> he said, but if they come up to you afterwards and they say, oh my gosh, that was me, it was a great story. 
because they saw themselves in your story. And in this case, they saw themselves in your fable. Right? Yes. And I think just one reflection, actually, as you were saying, is the five dysfunctions of a team. I was thinking of on this earlier, why that book popped. So in my new book, I talk about kind of these, these four P's of a best-selling book. Person, oh, I can't wait to, I got to go up and read that. Uh, yeah, I think you'll love it. Um, I just love so, thinking about it that way. Person, pain, promise, price, right? So in my mind, that's why that book popped off is because there's a there's a person, which is a manager or leader. <laughs> there's the pain that they have that they know that they have, which is dysfunction in their team. Yeah. And then there's a promise in the book. And then the price is, you know, pretty straightforward based on the book. But I think that that book, and I'd love to hear your perspective. As an outside observer, when I look at that book, I'm like, that book speaks directly to a pain that people know that they have. And I and it's a widespread pain. And I think I think that's one of the big reasons why it's done so well. Any anything from your perspective on why you think that book's done well? You know, I I, I love what you're saying. I think when I shape my characters, even the good ones are flawed and even the bad ones have redeeming qualities. Because and I think that's true in movies. You know, when I watch a movie and like, okay, there's clearly the bad character, there's clearly the good character. It's so flat. And and I think that we need to show that we're all sinners, we're all we all struggle. And so I think people read my book and I don't present my characters like I'm the perfect leader. And so they go, oh, okay, I'm gonna learn. We learn from people who say that who who bear put their imperfections out there and we go, okay, your credibility just went up. But when people come up and say, here's the perfect way to do something, it's like, I don't even think you're in touch with yourself. So so I really think that my characters have to be realistic. And let me tell you something, Chandler, that I love when people come up to me and say, I can relate to your characters. And, and there are people that come up to me and can relate to the, 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 the tough character. There's a character in the five dysfunctions of a team who would be the negative one, the, the difficult one. And people will come up to me and say, that was me. I'm the one, I'm the difficult one. So when they can actually see themselves as kind of the antagonist and they feel comfortable saying that, it means that they were open when they were reading it to going, no, this is real. And I don't need to protect mm. myself. So when people mm. go, I was Mikey, I was that, that character. I'm like, wow, I, you rock because you just admitted you were the hard one. And they go, I need to change. So I love that. <laughs> That's great. That's the beautiful thing about, I guess, fables and stories versus traditional nonfiction is when you get lost in the story, you can be open to yes. the lessons and the change. Could you see yourself in it? We, we've kind of been down this road a bit but I'd love to just like backtrack, zoom out. Again, I said it in the intro, the goat, the greatest of all time of fables. What's your secret, man? How do you write great fables? Like on a big picture? Well, I won't argue with you. I mean, in terms of, I would, I, I don't, it's hard to hear that and receive it. I don't want to go, <laughs> yes, that's me. I'm the goat. But if you say <laughs> so, I'll let you, that, that's very kind. So, so if you're saying, so how do I do it? I I, the process is, is really fun for me and it's really hard. In other words, some, it, when you do something that you love and, and you grind, like it's wonderful. And so, but I love doing it. And I am, I'm not like other, I mean, every writer is a little different. I follow my nose. So I do not sit down and map it all out and have an outline for the whole thing. And then, and then just execute along that. I actually create as I go. But there's something else I do is I don't write full time. Um, people ask me, how long does it take to write a book? And I'd say it's about nine months. But, it's, but if you condensed it, if I were a full-time writer, it'd probably be two and a half. But I can't do that. I have to 
do a, a, a come to work and work with people and then go off for two days. And I go to a little hotel that's halfway between my office and my house. So then I can go home and have dinner with my family. And I come back and I tend to write between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. And then I get up in the morning and I write. I'm clearest like in the kind of late evening and early morning, which is weird. And then I um, do other things. I need to be distracted. Um, the best writing for me is when I'm sitting in the lobby of a hotel with by myself, but there's activity around me and there's people walking by. So I can write and kind of look around and I think it occupies the front of my brain. So the back of my brain can work. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I follow my nose. I make things up as I go. The other key though, Chandler is my editor who's sitting outside here on the other side of the glass here, Tracy, who I've known for 27 years, Tracy reads what I write every day that I finish. So I'm writing for her. So while I'm writing, I, she is really the, my audience, because when you're writing a book, you, you never get audience feedback. I mean, a, a reader feedback for nine months. So I write and I send it to her at night. And the next day she, she'll go, Oh, I loved that. Or, Ooh, that didn't work. And so it's great that I get immediate feedback. And so it's a very iterative process. I don't like write a manuscript in the mountains, in the snow, and then mail it to my editor and get it back with red marks. You know, it's a very iterative process. And Tracy is a huge part of that. I trust her gut implicitly. So when she says that doesn't work, I go back and redo it. And so do you, do you do those edits as you go, or do you kind of let those stack and inform the next piece of writing and then do a full pass at the end? You know, I, by the time the book is done, I've read it probably 50 times because I cannot, and this is a limitation to my brain and to the way I think, Every time I sit down to write, so I write for two days, and let's say four days go by, then I'll go back and write for two more days. I will, uh, I always start by reading from the beginning. And, and I edit every time through I edit. So by the time it's finished, I've just, there's so many, it's been, it's been cleansed so many times that it's pretty close to done. Mm. Um, and, and I do that because, because I'm not a full-time writer, I forget where I was and I need to get the voice back and the, and the mm -hmm. story back. Luckily, and I say this for a lot, luckily my books are short <laughs> mm -hmm. and I did that on purpose <laughs> yeah. because time is the biggest commodity that we were in. We don't have. And so I like to tell people, if you can't read my book on a flight from Austin to, to Atlanta, then you're probably, you're not going to get to the rest of it. So. Mm, got it. When I would imagine that comes from the screenplay background. Yes. Because words are two so hours. Long. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Two hours. So if, Look, what would you say if you had to distill it down into, we'll give a broad range, two to five kind of core elements of a good fable? What are they in your mind? Ooh, I love it. This is fun. Okay. And I get this, some of this from screen range. First of all, you have to hook people. The beginning, everybody wants to figure out, am I going to, do I really want to read this? And so if the first few in a screenplay, which is, either 120 pages or two hours, the first 10 pages, if you don't hook people by then you lose them. In the first 10 minutes of a movie, people decide whether they like it or not. I talked to somebody the other day, they said, I turned that movie off after 30 seconds. I said, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you gotta give it 10 minutes. So if in the first few chapters, a person doesn't go, oh, I care. And to care, there has to be something at stake that you relate to. You have to go, I really wanna know if this character is gonna succeed or fail because if he fails or she fails, I'm going to feel bad. You have to be personally invested in it. 
if you're so removed from it, you're like, oh, I don't really care what happens. So I've been writing some of my books before. And I said, and we read, and Tracy and I sit down and I said, I don't think they're, the stakes are very high. If I were reading this book, I don't think I would care if this character succeeds or fails. So I have to go back and make it heavier, just in terms of like, what could possibly happen? In the, in the last book I wrote, I was writing it. And I said, I need the, the, the pain, which is what you wrote about, to be higher. Um, because I think it is. Because I was writing about frustration in work. And I was just going too fast. And I thought, I don't think his pain is apparent enough. And so what I did is I wrote about his wife's frustration with what he was putting the family through because of his job being so miserable. And suddenly, now his family was on the line, which is real. And, and, I, and Tracy and I were like, yes, now we care. Now we care. So, so I think it has to be, there has to be a hook. And then you have to care. There has to be, the stakes have to be high. I'm a huge believer in this. This is so fun to talk about. I feel bad for being all words, but, but I think that it has to move quickly. My favorite movies and my favorite books move. There's a saying in, in, in movies that you should get into the scene at the, at the, as late as possible. Don't put a bunch of stuff that doesn't need to be, and you should get out of it as soon as possible. And like Guy Ritchie makes movies and I like his movies and he never puts too much. He's like, we, we, I know you already know this. I don't need to show you this part of it. And you jump right in and then you jump right out. And, and like, I, I literally write short chapters for a reason. And because people go, oh yeah, okay, I got it. Ready to move on. Now that's different than writing. Dean Koontz is my favorite author. And he is so descriptive and powerful and, and theoretical and theological. And I love that, but that's a different animal. That's a different animal. Um, so I think it's, hook people at the beginning, give them a reason to care, keep it moving. Um, and then I think that realistic dialogue and realistic characters is important. You know, boy, this is so fun. I love doing interviews where I didn't plan what I was going to say. Something just occurred to me, Chandler. It's that the beauty of making it fiction rather than not fiction is that I get to anticipate the objections of my readers through characters who are voicing the same things readers do. Because literally a character will go, will say, well, that's crap. And, 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 the, and the guy will go, oh, what do you mean? And they go, well, that doesn't make any sense. He goes, oh, wait a second. And then they figure it out. And the reader was thinking the same thing. I'm a big believer in anticipating objections. And I get to do that through the characters who call out the theory that's unfolding just the same way a reader would and say, well, that's not realistic or that's touchy feely. So what I do is I bring in a character who says, that's touchy-feely. And then they figure out, oh, okay, it's actually not. But then the person who's thinking that when they're reading it goes, yeah, I was thinking the same thing that that character thought. So I think anticipating objections is another one. And then I will say, having a good ending is good too, and I'm terrible at it. My personality, I want to, I get, you know, most of the way through the book and I'm like, good enough. I'm on to the next one. And at Tracy, my editor will go, get back in there. This sucks. <laughs> the ending has to be as good as the beginning. So I think that, I think there are filmmakers who make movies that you really love and the end doesn't satisfy. And so I really try to wrap it up in a way that, that is real. So I, that's my theory, but I just made it up. And I think it's true. It's hook them, make them sure they care, keep it moving, have really realistic dialogue that that the reader goes, yeah, I was thinking that too. And then make an ending that pulls it together and, and leaves them, but not perfect, not saccharine mm. endings. 
Yeah. I like endings yeah, where they're like. Then that violates the principle that you mentioned a second ago, which is realistic dialogue and characters, right? Yes. And then I love how you talked about the stakes need to be high and whether or not the character succeeds or fails. Um, and then it's it's got to move quickly. Um, and and the whole get into the scene as late as possible, out as quick as or out as quick as possible. And it's interesting just hearing the parallels. We've got a fiction kind of division of the company, and the guy who runs that always talks about like it's 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 the character arc or five part story structure, yep. right? And there's the slap, and the slap is it's like it's got to be the stakes need to be high, like you said. It's not oh you lost your job, okay. Who cares? <laughs> you know, it's it's exactly. something that is visceral and emotional. And then even just to to real quickly, like I'm I'm on page three of um, five dysfunctions here, and just to just to illustrate what you talked about is that hook in the first ten pages. Only one person thought Catherine was the right was was the right choice to be Chrome CEO of Decision Tech. Luckily for her, that person was the chairman of the board. It's like boom, you're right in it. <laughs> right, and right. You're like, hold up, what? <laughs> and and so less than a month, and, and it's, there's just you're in it, and there's automatically conflict. I mean, there's conflict in the first sentence. So there's well, there's oh, a and I didn't, I can't believe I didn't say that. The essence of every story is conflict. There has to be something at stake, and it's either man versus man or woman versus woman. You know, man versus nature, man versus himself. You know. And man versus nature is like Jaws, you know, it's the shark in the otter and you're man for the man versus himself is a beautiful mind. A man versus man is Rocky. Now they're all man versus himself or woman versus herself, but there has to be conflict. That's what I mean by stakes. Mm. It's not necessarily conflict like people just arguing. It's something tense. Mm -hmm. The other thing I think is really important in my books, and I, I do this without really thinking about it, is there has to be some surprises. I like when people go, oh my gosh, I had no idea that guy was going to quit. Or, you know what I mean? Like, I want them at some point to go, oh, I, that, I did not see that coming. But I don't plan that. I'm, when I'm writing, I just, it just happens. And I'm like, ooh, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> mm, that's cool. Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement and, and what you're speaking to, which I think is interesting as well, is, and again, pulling from the fiction world, is this concept of pantsers versus plotters. So do you plot everything ahead of time or do you write by the seat of your pants, which I think you've called kind of like following your nose. Um, which, which I've never heard that. I'm a pantser. You're a pantser, baby. <laughs> That's right. Um, it's in the mirror every morning. I'm a pantser. <laughs> I, I love that. Now, there's a word for that. Yeah. And it's so, legitimate. You know, this is and not something I made up. Uh, there are other humans like me. Yeah. What, I um, think my favorite writer is Dean Koontz. And if, if he's a plotter, then he is a genius. And because it seems he takes it in all these places, but I got to believe it's just like inspiring it. He's just inspired. But man, I can't imagine being a plotter. Not my personality. <laughs> oh, man. It, I want to I talk about working genius stuff. 
and this the new book. That there, I think this is some concepts that are going to be really helpful yeah. for authors. Before we transition there, any kind of final pieces or tips that you would give on writing great fables? Oh my gosh. So just as you were talking about being a pantser, it's that's my gift. That's my genius. But other people will be a plotter. And, and everything we do in, in how we work, and a, a writer is not a writer is not a writer. We all have different gifts, God-given talents. And there's six choices. And they're all necessary in any business or run in a family or any work of any endeavor. And there's six of these things that are necessary, but each of us only has two. <laughs> two of them we hate. And that's why I have to have other people around me when I write to make sure I do. Like, so, so I'll go through them, okay? The first genius is the genius of wonder. This is the person who can sit by themselves for hours and go, I wonder why this, I, maybe this should be different. Why is the world like this? Why is our company like this? Why isn't there a book about this? I wonder if there should be this. I don't, that's not my genius, but there are people that do that. And it's a, every business needs it. Every family needs it. Every project needs it. And every book needs somebody to say, maybe, maybe this isn't, maybe there's something left here that nobody's figured out. Okay. That's the genius of wonder. It, they, they ponder and it's important. Very few people that have this genius get affirmed for it. They're like, why are you still asking questions? Why do you, why is your head in the clouds all the time? Because God gave them that genius and they're good at it and they love to do it. It gives them joy and energy to wonder. Mine is the next one, which comes from 50,000 feet down to about 40,000 feet, which is the genius of invention that like some people wake up in the morning and love to come up with new things pretty much from scratch. They like to come up with a new idea, a, a whiteboard, a blank whiteboard and a pen is like their best friend and they don't want a lot of restrictions. They're like, ooh, let me answer that question you were wondering about. I wonder if teamwork is, is this all there is? And it's like, ooh, wait a second. And then boom, they come up with a theory. It's, it's a, it's, they should never brag about it because it's a gift. Who brags about gifts they've been given, you know? So I have a natural gift to do that, but that's not enough. The next, the next genius is called discernment. So it goes wonder, invention, and then discernment. Discernment is, a, is an absolute gift and a genius. And some people love to do it and they're great at it. And that is the use of their intuition and their instinct. So when Tracy reads my book and she has great discernment, she doesn't give me data about why this doesn't work. She doesn't go and find five other books and point that out to me. She just says, in my gut, this character isn't real. In my gut, this plot, is it's taking too long. And I don't ask her to prove it to me. I go, Trace, I know that she has the genius of discernment. And you know what she said? People have been asking her her whole life since she was a little girl for her advice. And not about expertise things. I'll be at home and I'll say to my wife, Laura, should we buy a new house? Do you think we should refine? Should we go on to Greece on vacation this year? What do you think? Do you think this outfit looks good? And she'll say, ask Tracy. Tracy just has this innate ability and it's an absolute genius. It's very real. It's God-given to evaluate its pattern recognition. It's integrative thinking. And some people are great at that. So if you're a writer and you're like that, that's my second one too, is that you're pretty good at evaluating whether this works, but you kind of need an outsider to do it too. Okay. Those are the first three. Wonder, invention, discernment. Next comes galvanizing. Galvanizers are the ones that once an idea has been vetted, they like to get people excited about it. And they like to go out and go, come on, you guys, get in this room. We're going to talk about this. I'm so excited. What are we going to do? Let's move. They're cheerleaders, salespeople, um, 
inspirers. And some people wake up in the morning and love to do that. Now, here's the thing, Chandler. I'm okay at that. I don't really like it though. See, it doesn't, it's not a genius of mine. I don't get joy and energy from it. So if I do it too long, it burns me out. Um, so galvanizing is, is important. Then there's this thing called enablement. That's the next one, which is really good. People that have this don't think it's a gift and it is, it's a genius. And that is the people that like to answer the call and just help and support and, 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 and give support and help in the way the person needs it. You know, when somebody says, I need your help, they go, oh my gosh, I'm getting so excited that I'm going to be able to help you. This is not one of mine. Now, I love to help people, but I kind of like to do it using my invention and my discernment. People with enablement are like, whatever you need, I'm here. It's a gift. And then the last one is called tenacity. And that is, there's some people that like to just finish things. They love to cross things off a list. They like to plow through obstacles. They have the tenacity to keep going and they get joy and energy from going, yes, I finished it. I have none of this. Which if I tried to write a book by myself, I'd have a stack of half-written manuscripts. Um, because the ending is really hard. I don't like to land the plane. I don't like to, to do the last thing. I love 80-20. That's good enough. I, I'm ready to write my next book halfway through my, the previous one. And my editor and my team says, no, 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 get back in there. So those are the things, wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing, enablement, and tenacity. I think most of writing happens in the wonder, invention, and discernment phase. That's, a, that's more of an intellectual internal process. And then the GET is often like getting it out into the world and, 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 and putting the finishing touches on it and those things. So I think most writers would probably, probably find their geniuses in the W and I and D area. Now, I want to say this. This is the last thing I'll say about working genius is that two of them are your working genius. You get joy and energy. Two, that, that's like pouring coffee into a Yeti mug and screwing the lid on and it holds its heat all day. And you're like, how can it still hold its heat? Because it's what it loves. You know, I love to do those things. Two of the six are your working competency. You can do them. You don't love it, but it, it doesn't kill you. And that, that's like pouring coffee into a cup, put a little lid on it, a plastic cup, and it'll hold the heat for a while. The last two are your working frustration. That's like pouring coffee into a cup that has a hole in the bottom of it. And it just leaks out. God did not intend us to spend most of our time and energy or effort in the working frustrations. And people that do are burned out. They're, they're frustrated, really bad things happen. And that's what the book is about is how to figure out what your working genius is so that you can spend as much time as possible doing the things that God intended you to do because it will make you more successful, more happy, more joyful, and, and you'll be using the gifts he gave you to serve others. So many people spend their lives in their working competencies and frustrations and they don't know why. And it hurts their families, it hurts their companies, it hurts them. We have had so many people take this assessment that goes that, that you do separate than the book and, and say, it changed my marriage. It changed my job. It changed my company. And it did it in about 15 minutes because mm. they do, they do this 10 minute assessment and they look at the results and they're like, crap. Now it makes sense. I, you know, something Chandler, I was carrying around guilt about my career for 30 years. The first job I ever had, I failed at. I mean, I, I survived it but I was not good. And I thought I'm a fraud. I was supposed to be talented. It was like the best job anybody got in my college. And I, I was not good. And I thought, well, I guess, I guess I was good at school, but I'm, I'm just not meant to be good at work. And over time, I started to come back from that. But when I figured out this model, I was like, that's why. 
I was actually meant to do the two things I hate the most. Mm. Nobody, I could have never succeeded in that. I thought I was lazy or stupid. And, and as it turns out, I'm neither. <laughs> so many people are carrying guilt or they're judging others as being not very smart or not caring enough. And it's like, once they see their working genius, they're like, oh my gosh, I've been judging you. Now I get you. Mm. So that's what this book is about. And, yeah. and the assessment that goes with it, it's the most, people have said this is going to be much bigger than the five dysfunctions of a team. Hmm. So, and so it sounds like it looks like it. We've, we've, we're almost at a half a million people. That have taken the assessment. Yeah. That's awesome. So it sounds like, and I want to get to that assessment here in just a second, then, then we'll ask final question and wrap. It sounds like what you're saying is lean into your, your, your working genius as a writer or as an author, and then bring people on your team that that can complement those other pieces that, that, you, that you maybe don't have as much. Yeah. I was telling you about a friend of mine, Chris, who's an author, and he's a WI, which is the first two. So his is, head is way up in the clouds. And my wife is a WI, and they're called the creative dreamer. And they throw things against the wall. And about 60% of them don't make a lot of sense because they don't have discernment. But that's okay. They need to do that. Then they need to turn to somebody else and say, pick the four that are good. Hmm. So he needs a ton of editing and he loves that now because he realizes, oh, it's just not my gift. So he's inviting people and celebrating people who have that where some writers are like, oh, what's wrong with me? Why do I need that? Hmm. You know, and it's like, you because you just don't have that, you know? Hmm. So, That's really so everybody's different. Everybody's different. My son is a WD. He works with me. He's what's called the contemplative counselor. If he wrote a book, it would be he doesn't have I invention. He would have to write a book that was curating other ideas and making sense of it so that people could do that. But mm -hmm. if, when I say to him, he he'll critique my ideas because he has discernment and I'll say, what do you think we should do then? He goes, don't ask me. I'm a, I'm not an I, I can tell you what's not going to work there, or I can curate your idea, but I'm not going to be the one to come up with a new idea. And people mm -hmm. have felt guilty their whole life. Like what's wrong with me. And it's like, they look at this and they go, Oh, I just don't have that one. Oh, hmm. thank God that I finally know that. Hmm. So that's, that's cool. So I took the test GT. What does that mean? Oh, okay. What's your, what are your competencies? What are the middle ones? Do you have that in front of you? Uh, yes, sir. It looks like W and D. Okay. So W and D. So wonder and discernment are things that you can do when you need to. Okay. You're mm -hmm. not blind to those things. So asking the deep questions and assessing whether something works, but you are a, Hey, when you see something that makes sense and it's good, you're like, okay, let's get this done. And you finish things and you, and your capacity for getting stuff done is, is, is extraordinary. And you're pretty good at knowing whether what you're working on makes sense. Hmm. But what you, you aren't is the person who's like, once like your book about the four things, uh, you know, the, the book, the, the person paying promise and price, you, you saw that in stuff that you had noticed. And so you responded to that and then you go, I'm going to tell the world about this. Mm, and then you actually yeah. do. So the mm -hmm. GT is the, I always forget the name. Cause I call it the butt kicker. Cause they just, they're the, they're the one that accomplishes things and gets other people moving. And so you are the guy that says, come on people, we can do this. And, mm -hmm. and you don't like go, hey, it's good enough that we had a good idea. You want to finish it, you know? So you, that's, that's you are, you're, you're the, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Last, last couple of questions. Um, so 
it seems like you've been, I was talking with your son about this right before the interview. It, it seems like you've done, been very intentional about creating a great assessment for the book and embedding that in the title and embedding that in yeah. everything. I was walking through this with him. So I've got an interview on this podcast with um, Gary Chapman, Five Love Languages, right? And he's, oh, yeah. he's doing a great job of that as well. And he was just talking about how the the assessment, his, that assessment, 50 million people have taken it and it's let in, you know, 13 million people have bought, bought the book or whatever else. I talk about this, like this viral loop with, with, quiz, with quizzes or assessments and books, right? They buy the book, they take the quiz, which is interesting. So they tell someone about it. That person then takes the quiz and then buys the book as a result of that. Tells someone, hey, you should buy the book. They buy the book and it kind of starts this, like this, this infinity loop Really, really smart and strategic. I love what you're doing. What's the why behind it? And how do you think about that? Well, what's interesting is, so, so much happens by accident here, I think in life. So we came out with the, we discovered this by accident, purely because a colleague of mine said, why are you like, why do you get grumpy at work, Pat? Because sometimes I would get grumpy and I go, I don't know, but I'm tired of it. Let's, I want to figure it out. And I, and by the grace of God, I, figured it out. I had, I had six circles on a board and my wife said, Hey, they're actually gears. Cause they fit together. I said, you're right, Laura. And so I came up with this thing and right away we said, what should we do with this? Should we write a book? I said, no, that's a, that's a 16 month process. And we said, let's come up with an assessment so people can do it. So we did that. And it was the face validity was off the charts and people. So we introduced that two years before the book came out. We've never done that before. And so now we had a quarter of a million people that had done the assessment and now we had time to write a book about it. We couldn't throw the assessment in the book because they're a separate thing. But what we realized is, so to answer your question about that, the infinity loop is that it only works if the content works. Because you're absolutely right. Word of mouth is everything. I, I remember, I'll tell you a story back in the days the, the, the secret to having a great book was to get on the Oprah Winfrey show. That's what people said, right? And, and everybody was trying to get on Oprah. And, and we were like, do, do we want to do that? Is that what we want to do? But then what we realized is half the people that went on there, if their book wasn't good, it actually didn't matter. And so, the, and I love this because this is merit-based and you know that if people benefit from it, they're going to tell others. If they don't, they won't. So the, the, the key to that loop is the face validity of the material. Do people get good things out of it? If they do, then that infinity loop goes and it becomes its own, you know, what does Jim Collins call it? The flywheel. But if it's not good, all the talk shows you're on and all the money you put behind marketing isn't going to work. So I like the fact that that flywheel, that, that infinity loop only happens if, if the content warrants it. And, and I can tell you, and we are so glad that the people that have taken this are like, you don't understand how this has changed my marriage. Cause my wife used to, we had a guy calling and say, um, I thought my wife hated me for 10 years. And he laughed. He goes, I mean, I, it sounds funny and I'm kind of joking, but it's true. I, I really kind of suspected deep down inside she was against me. And then he goes, on our anniversary, we took the working genius thing and it changed everything. I said, well, what happened? He goes, well, I'm an inventor. I'm constantly coming up with new ideas. And every time I do, she tells me why it might not work. And I thought, and he goes, she just was trying to crush my dreams. She did not want me to love this stuff. And then she, they took the thing and she goes, my gift is discernment. 
The way I love you is to actually give you feedback. And I don't want you to pursue something that wouldn't work. <laughs> and he goes, she was loving me. I thought she was against me. And they said that changed their marriage. That's awesome. And it happened in 15 minutes. So, so the, yeah, that infinity loop works. That's um, cool. And it's, it's a great thing. So that's cool. Pat, we've covered so much ground, man. I could, I could do this for hours, um, but we're out of time. Uh, so where, where can people go? Um, to I want to do. Well, I want to turn it around and, and, and read it. I, I want to ask you about yours, but, but I'm, mm -hmm. so I'm going to go dive into to all the self-publishing school stuff and I'll call you back. Well, and hey talk man, about we, your we sent you a copy of the book and we can talk about yeah. it on the podcast or whatever you want to do anytime. That sounds great. Well, hey, I want to make sure that, that people have a, a place to go um, to get the book, to take the assessment, all that stuff. So where's the best place to buy the Working Genius book, take the assessment, take next steps? Yeah. Well, workinggenius.com is, and it's two G's in the middle, workinggenius.com has everything you need to know. How to take the assessment, how you can use a team map because teams do it. It's a team tool as well, all this other stuff. Because I'm not just an author, I'm a, a consultant and have a firm. But you can buy the book anywhere. You know, you can buy it at an airport, you can buy it at, at, at Barnes and Noble, you can buy it at your local bookstore, you know, Books a Million, all those different places. So um, so anywhere to go, but workinggenius.com is a is a good place to start. Cool. Workinggenius.com. Check it out. Again, the book is called The Six Types of Working Genius, a better way to understand your gifts, your frustrations, and your team. Pat. The goat of fables. I'm just gonna just feels like it embarrasses you every time I say it. I just gotta yes. keep saying it. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. This was awesome. All righty. Thanks for having me on here. This is a blast. God bless you. Right back at you. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you can be listening to, YouTube channels that you can be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode. All right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, and then number three, this is probably the most important, uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right. Reviews are super important and help this podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, so number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that, I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right, all you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book, Published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step, so how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.